Hey everybody, it's Matt, sharing a quick note off the top that as I was recording this episode, a reckoning over sexism in the beer industry was just beginning and it's picked up a lot of momentum since then. A lot of the harrowing details have been shared by Brienne Allen. She's a production manager at Notch Brewing in Salem, Massachusetts. So if you want to get informed, you can follow her on Instagram at RatMagnet. And journalist Beth Demon also wrote a piece for Vine Pair that I'll link to in the show notes if you want to get up to speed on everything that's been going on in the beer industry. I feel like it would be disingenuous to say that I have anything valuable to add beyond what Brienne and Beth have shared. So I'll just leave it at something that should go without saying, but everyone deserves to be treated with respect. And I bring this up because my guest and I in this episode discussed the craft beer community and everything we love about it, but that community clearly needs a lot of work to become a safe space for everybody. So thanks for tuning in, and let's do our part to make that happen. Hey everybody, welcome to Props and Hops, a betting and beer podcast powered by Dimers.com and part of Blue Wire Hustle. I'm Matt Landis, and this week's conversation is with the sports better and writer known as Prospector Sam. In our conversation, we touch on the nickname and persona Sam developed with our mutual partner, Dimers.com, and I was especially curious to dig into Sam's sense of humor, which is rivaled by few in the betting space. On an only slightly more serious note, we also touch on Sam's approach to betting and where he adds value there, and he's also a craft beer savant, so whether you're an aspiring better, content creator, or craft beer fan, you're in for a treat. If that sounds good, I'd appreciate it if you could take a quick moment to follow or subscribe to Props and Hops wherever you get your podcasts, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, the number one way you can support the show would be to leave a rating and review. I'm all ears on any feedback, as well as any topics you'd like to hear in the worlds of betting and beer. And now, it's time to mine for some value in betting and beer. Enjoy my interview with Prospector Sam. Prospector Sam, welcome to Props and Hops. Gotta say, it's my first time interviewing somebody in costume, and for those listening, I'll post a video clip on Twitter so that you can check it out. Not a bad look. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Uh, the, the costume is is relatively new, and this whole thing is, is a bit unusual for me too, so uh, we're in the same boat, and uh, just enjoying it really, and, and, and again, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. I know that one thing uh, people will catch on to pretty quickly, uh, there's good overlap with our interest in both betting and beer, so we'll touch on plenty of betting, but to kick things off, as we record this on a Friday afternoon, what are you drinking right now? Uh, I got a Tropicalia. Um, it's a kind nice. of a southeastern uh, kind of local staple, um, obviously, you know, from here, it's, you know, Creature Comforts is about as, as you know, Typical other than maybe 420 of beers you'll see around, around these parts. Um, and it's just a great casual drinker, which is, which is always perfect for four o'clock on a Friday. So how about you? Yeah, that's great. Well, I, I've got to say right off the top, um, Creature Comforts has plans to open up a space in LA and I'm really excited to check that out. I guess this somehow by some stroke of luck qualifies as beer media in a way because somebody, maybe one of their PR reps reached out and sent me, um, 
a couple cans to sample that had recently been added to their year-round lineup. Cosmic Debris was a really good double IPA. Um, you wouldn't know it's a double IPA, by the way, it drank. And then um, there was a Goza as well. I think it was Tritonia. So yeah. they've got some good stuff going, but Tropicalia is that like flagship IPA that seems to be really approachable for everybody. So can't wait to see them out here and jealous of your proximity to them out in your neck of the woods. That's, as far as what I've got going right now, um, I'm working with Flying South with Lime. It's a Mexican-style lager by Green Cheek Beer Company in Orange, California. And I have not been shy about it. Green Cheek is my favorite brewery. In fact, I am wearing their T-shirt as we record this. Kind of unplanned to pair the shirt with the beer, but that's, I guess, me most weekends <laughs> repping Green Cheek. And, uh, yeah, I think they described it kind of as like an elevated version of Modelo without the skunkiness. So definitely one of the cheaper four-packs on their menu. But, again, Friday afternoon, like not quite in full on weekend mode, but making that transition, this is a great way to kick it off. So on that note, let me crack this guy open. Absolutely. And cheers. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't have anything from Green Cheek, but... Now that I know, uh, you know, how heavily you, you advocate for them, I'm going to have to check them out. It's not one that I see popping around beer forums or, or anything very often. So, um, I hadn't heard much about them until, uh, until I came across props and hops, but now I, I feel like I'm, I'm missing out by not having any of them. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, maybe we can arrange some sort of trade. I know that you're, you're really savvy when it comes to getting some of the best stuff anywhere in the country. And with Green Cheek, they're not, Super hypey in the sense of trading for a lot, like let's say, you know, Treehouse or, or a side project, Stout or Sour, or even a Monkish IPA out here in Southern California. But they do everything at such a high level, and it's just really cool people who I, I think run a really good company. And across the board, I mean, this their Mexican-style lager, super crisp and refreshing, just exactly what you'd want for the style. They do world-class West Coast IPA. They do really good hazies. Um, they also do some of the hoppy pills, uh, something that Highland Park out here has really popularized. So maybe they don't do the big, you know, pastry stouts or barrel-aged sours or hazy IPAs as often that trade for as much as some of the East Coast beer fans might like. But I think everything they do really hits the mark, and it's just nice to get that full-spectrum experience because hazy IPAs, really good sours, stouts, they're awesome, but... In the, you know, craft beer hype scene, those get a lot of play and other stuff kind of gets overlooked. And I think Green Cheek just represents every style at a really high level. Yeah. Oh, well, and also you always want to have that local brewery that's not too hyped, right? Like I, I, I've always been happy. I, I have buddies out in different places in the country. One of the best things you can have is one of those breweries that people just don't seem to care about for, you know, reasons like that. You know, either they're making, you know, stuff that's not quite as tradable or, or whatever it is, but they make really good beer and then you don't have to, you know, fight and, and, you know, give an arm and a leg just to get their beer, which is fantastic. I had buddies out in uh, Chicago and, and hot butchers a little bit like that, where, you know, they make a lot of good beer, but you find it all over the, you know, the binnies and the grocery stores around there and, and you can just kind of drink it casually and get it whenever you want. And, and for like a regular drinker, that's, that's what you want. You almost don't want those breweries to get too hyped up because you, you don't want them to start getting harder to find. So yeah, exactly. I would say uh, when you mentioned Hot Butcher, I mean, friend of the pod and, and fellow Dimer's partner, Mike Roselli, would probably have a lot of good things to say about them. I, I envy his proximity to get that stuff with pretty easy access. And yeah, one of the silver linings to this whole last year plus for me during the pandemic has been 
California loosening restrictions when it comes to beer shipping and distribution. So, I mean, I'm spoiled now to the point that Green Cheek, it's a little more than an hour driving. And, you know, for a weekend, if I can go there and, like, have a couple beers and, and maybe see an Angels game or, you know, if they're close to Disneyland, if people are doing a big, you know, touristy thing in Orange, then it's really accessible. But now just getting it shipped to my door, like not having to leave the house to have really, I would argue, some world-class beer delivered. It just doesn't get much better than that. So a lot of rough stuff to deal with over the past 14 or so months for pretty much everybody. But it is nice to find a few silver linings here and there. And uh, yeah, as a craft beer fan, can't complain about that aspect of it. Yeah, definitely not. I, I, I know I, I've, I've taken advantage of similar things with, with similar breweries. Uh, I won't really dive into which ones just for the anonymity's sake, but I saw the other day that Hill Farmstead's actually starting to deliver out to the West Coast too, which is uh, a pretty shocking turn of events. So, um, you know, every, everything in the beer world, you know, is, has been changing over the last 12 months and, you know, there's been a lot of rough stuff, like you said, but you, you can still try to look at the, the the good things, even with the bad. And and for beer drinkers and craft beer people like ourselves, there have been there have been a few pluses. So, yeah, and uh, I know we'll get into uh, like your prospector Sam persona and a lot of betting stuff pretty soon. But I, I've got to follow up when you mentioned Hill Farmstead shipping out to the West Coast. It looks like Oregon is the entry point right now. And during this whole pandemic, my best friend has actually moved from California to Bend, Oregon. And recently I booked a trip, my first time on a plane in more than a year. I'll be in Bend in, geez, probably a week or so from this episode dropping. And you better believe that I've got this Hill Farmstead sale on his radar. So he and I will both be going at it, trying to get, yeah, some of their, I think they're selling boxes of a stout, a few sours, uh, some hobby beers. To get that fresh in Oregon would just be unreal. So I'm sure there's a lot of demand, probably a pretty limited supply, but yeah, you better believe we're going to be all in on trying to get that. Absolutely. I saw Damon's in the box. I think uh, a couple others too. So some, they're, they're not, you know, they're not skimping on, on quality there either. They're sending some good stuff out. So uh, I, I don't blame you. If they were delivering to me, I'd be on that in a heartbeat. Yeah, that's a good point. A lot of breweries, when they enter a new market, it might be, I think out here, like, I mean, Firestone Walker is everywhere, but, um, like 805, it's, it's a good blonde ale, but it's, I would say by no means the best beer they make, but it's really approachable and, and it's easy to sell to pretty much any palate. So a lot of times when breweries are expanding, you'll see something like that where, okay, it's maybe a very highly regarded brewery, but not their upper echelon beers that will initially be available. But to your point, Hill Farms had putting one of their biggest stouts out there, a couple of their premier, you know, tart saisons. That's, you know, that's coming at it with a pretty big swing right out of the gate. So anybody in Oregon who can succeed in this online sale they've got coming up, gonna be in a pretty sweet spot. Absolutely. Although I, I'll say I won't. Well, I'm not surprised having been to Hill Farmstead before. That place just operates differently than anything you'll ever see. So I, I, I'm not shocked that that group decided they were just going to go uh, full out and send out, you know, something like that. And good for them. It's it's great to see that kind of thing getting across the country into people who would normally have access. So. Yeah. Yeah. As you outlined the way they do business, it reminds me of, uh, you know, maybe a parallel to the betting world. I feel like if Hill Farmstead were a sports book, they would probably be Circa Sports right now or somebody who's like really doing it right. And uh, there are plenty of business reasons to maybe do things differently if your ultimate goal is to max out on profits. But um, just being really thoughtful about the way you do things and keeping the big picture in mind. Yeah, if anybody 
ever has a chance to make the pilgrimage to Hill Farmstead out in a pretty remote spot in Vermont. Um, it is unlike anything else you'll ever experience. And I don't know, maybe if you take one thing away from this podcast, if you can get to Hill Farmstead, do it. Absolutely. In the summer, though, maybe not in February. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, I'm being in LA. I'm like, oh, just I can do anything any time of the year. But you, you want to be mindful of it. It's a bit of a trek. Sometimes you're not even on a paved road. So yeah, make sure it's accessible and safe, but definitely keep it on the radar. Um, yeah, and, and I guess since I just made a parallel to the betting world, we can kind of transition into that realm a little bit. And I'd like to touch on the way that you get at this. And to me, that starts with your persona as Prospector Sam. It's a really catchy nickname. And I was wondering if you could kind of describe the persona in your own words and how you came up with it. Yeah. So, uh, the whole, you know, avenue to dimers was just very odd, uh, for me during the, the pandemic hit. You know, I work a, a regular job and, uh, work slowed down. Um, and I was looking for something to fill my time. And what I did was I got on WordPress and I made my own blog. Uh, and I, I kind of started doing that and I was, I was learning, you know, every day learning something new. And, and I only had, you know, you can see on WordPress who reads your thing and I can get like two readers a day, three readers a day, whatever it was, nothing, you know, at all worth, you know, you know, writing home about, but I kept getting better at it and better at it. And I found a, a new angle and I, I started, you know, it started with just pure, you know, what, what do I want to do for bets? And then it started developing into, well, I really want to write in a way that I, I think I would enjoy writing and I think people would enjoy reading. Um, and I sort of got to the point uh, around October, November, where I started to really get into writing interesting articles, not just, you know, this is what I would bet on. This is what, you know, sports, you know, is happening in the sports world right now. Cause you can find that on ESPN or Barstool or whatever it was. I really wanted to find a, a you know, my angle. And so I ended up getting to a point uh, where I was starting to get really good at that. And one day I get a message from Dimers just saying, you know, hey, really liked an article that I wrote. And I, I almost didn't respond because I had no idea what it was. Um, and then, uh, sent a message back and like, hey, you know, really thank you for, for saying that. I really appreciate it. You know, share around, not knowing, thinking it was like a, a handicapper for somebody who was, you know, one of those people selling picks. And then the, the team followed up with me again. They were like, hey, you know, we really like to have you on. Um, to write for us. And I had a different persona then than I do now. And basically we just decided for, you know, IP purposes and for whatever to, to separate it. And so we, I came up with a, a new name and a new character. Um, character is basically the same in the sense that I, I kind of write about it as being, or think about it as being like 75% just me talking and then 25% like hyperbole, you know, the, the, the excessive jokes, the, you know, uh, tongue in cheek talk. It's not something I'd really do in, in real life. Um, but it lets me, you know, kind of just have fun with it and, and make jokes when I want to and, and, you know, make fun of myself when I want to and all that. Um, and the goal really is just to be engaging and, you know, connect with people through sports in a way that's fun. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of the time, especially with, with this new world of sports gambling, there's so much content, so much information and so much to, to kind of grab onto. And it's hard to, to know what, you know, what's going on and, and kind of where you want to look for information. And the, the, the path I'm trying to carve really is I, I just want this for, to be fun for people. It's fun for me. I hope people read it and think, wow, that guy's having fun writing because I am. Um, and I hope people read it and say, you know, not every joke is a hit. Not every, you know, article is perfect. Um, but I, I really get, uh, you know, just, just write casual and kind of engaging 
I like to call it, you know, kind of middle brow ish writing where, you know, it's not too dumbed down, but it's, it's, uh, it's something that people can, can really, you know, bite into. Um, and yeah, you know, I, that's kind of where, where it is. Um, I also do take the, the gambling part seriously, you know, but at the end of the day, it's kind of a mix of both. It's, you know, I want to be a good, you know, give good picks. And I also want people to enjoy the writing and that's kind of, I, I'm balancing that most of the time. Yeah. I would say making maybe a beer parallel, if you will, in a world of candy infused sours and pastry stouts and really sweet cloying double hazy IPAs. Maybe you've got that, that lane of a really approachable West coast IPA that's not super bitter, but more a little citrusy and tropical and it can appease the hop heads and also maybe one over somebody who doesn't consider themselves an IPA fan, but you know, this is something that is a lot more approachable than what they would have thought of during the IBU wars and in, in the betting space. Um, you know, it can be really competitive and serious. So I think there's definitely room for someone who has intelligent insight to share, but can do it in a more fun and approachable way. In fact, I, I'll get envious sometimes when I come across your work because I, as much as I like to think I have good information to share and, and I've seen the positive results of my betting over the decade plus that I've been involved in it. It's sometimes hard to convey information in a way that other people might want to receive it. Even I, I can say, Hey, this is probably plus EV info. And if you bet like this, you're probably going to win more. If you bet like this, you might lose a lot more, but it doesn't matter how right you are. If that message isn't packaged in a way that people are ready to receive it. So from someone who can be really analytical to a fault, I appreciate that sense of humor you bring to everything. And to that, and I'm curious, where does that sense of humor come from? Is it just natural or is it something you're really conscious about trying to infuse into what you do? And how important is it for you to make sure that you are incorporating that element? Yeah, it's, I'd say it's fairly natural. I mean, part of it's just, like I said, you know, my personality, I can, I can make jokes to a, to a fault sometimes. You know, I, I try to take, you know, things very, especially in, in, you know, the, the, the world that we're in, not, not so seriously and, and try to enjoy it as much as I can. Cause I really do this for fun. You know, I don't get paid. I don't have anything, you know, any stake in the game. I just really like doing this. Um, I have to be conscious about the humor. And about making the right kind of humor, you know, it's, it's, it's always a fine line with, with making jokes, especially in, you know, today's world. You can't, you know, there are, there are toes that you can't step on and there are lines that, you know, you can't and shouldn't cross. Um, but my, my sense of humor and the way that I try to convey it is really, you know, I, I try not to touch on politics or real issues purposefully. Um, because you can make, humor about anything, but, you know, this is really meant for me to be about, um, things that, that separate you from the real world and kind of keep you, you know, sports gambling for me is, is, it's about making money, but it's also fun. And it's also, you know, aside from the politics and the, you know, all the issues that go on in people's lives, it's kind of a break from that. Um, and so the humor is, is a lot of trying to, you know, separate myself and, you know, the people who are reading from the, the world that, you know, they're dealing with problems and they're dealing with major social issues and all that. And, and, and we all just need a break from that sometimes. And I need a break from that sometimes. And, and the way I, I give the outlet is just, I sit down for, you know, a few hours and I write and I make silly jokes and, you know, it's just kind of whatever, whatever happens as far as purposefulness. I mean, I'm not joking when I say these articles are often stream of consciousness and I just kind of go with, with what pops into my head as I, as I kind of weave my way through the article. Um, but it's 
it's just a different approach. You know, I, I think it's, it's fun to have some humor in there. Sometimes I worry on, on the other end that I don't have uh, some of the credibility that I think you probably get from taking things a little bit more seriously. So I have to kind of balance and think about, you know, I, I want to be funny, but like, I also don't want people to get to the picks and say, well, he's just joking around. He's, you know, the, the picks don't really have a lot of thought to him and, and aren't really well, well put together. And I, I have to balance the humor with that. Um, but again, you know, for me, it's just, it's all about having fun and doing this for, for enjoyment. And so the way I express that is just bringing humor into it. Cause I've, you know, since the days when I was reading, you know, back before what it is now when Barstool used to be like a few guys sitting in a, you know, office just writing funny articles or, you know, there were some old writers like David Hershey who wrote for ESPN that wrote these great, you know, humorous articles that were also intelligent. And that's kind of where I've been building off of. Um, and I don't think there's a lot of that anymore, to be honest. I think, you know, things have kind of shifted in a way that it's taken away from, from being able to take things less seriously. And that's, uh, that's something I miss. So. Yeah. And I, I think you do a good job of bringing that levity to the table. And at the same time, I mean, if people almost strip that away and read your work and just look at it from a betting standpoint, I think it's clear that there is some good stuff there and, and there should still be some credibility. It's not a binary equation of is this valuable betting info or is it funny? There's, you know, there's a way to kind of toe that line and, and I know we might fall on different sides of it, but you know, there, there's definitely room for both perspectives. So I, I love bringing you on to have this discussion and on the note of, you know, making your betting info more approachable to people, um, how would you describe your journey as a better, maybe starting with the first bet that you can remember making? Interesting. Yeah. See, it's funny for me, right? I, I tend to view betting as just like a very inherent thing in human beings. Like I, I, I sat down for a minute and I tried to think about what the first bet I thought of, or I, I, I could remember myself making was. And I realized like, I've probably been making bets in some form since I was like five playing, you know, horse with my mini basketball hoop in the, the yard uh, or in the driveway. Right. Um, as far as sports betting go, I, I can go back to, you know, high school, even middle school, making bets with friends on, on games or on series. Uh, I think the first one I can remember is I made a bet with my uh, vice principal when I was in elementary school on the Super Bowl one year. Um, so it's always been there. Um, but it's just, it's, it's so ingrained. And I think that's what's why you're seeing all these numbers and all these, these things growing with, within America and, and within, you know, these, these betting markets is, I think it's just natural for people. I mean, you sit and you watch games and I think people just realize, you know, that their next natural progression is to want to bet on it. Um, and so I kind of started there and, and, got into writing because I, like I said, I had some extra free time and I was a gambler myself. Um, and I've just kind of developed from there. You know, it's, it's uh, partially just about committing to what you like doing and, and having a passion for it. But um, yeah, I, I've, I've always found betting to just be a natural instinct more than a, you know, a, a choice. Uh, funny enough. Yeah, and to that end, with it being a natural instinct and and being pretty rampant just as part of the human condition, what sports would you say that you bet the most? I know you can, you know, you can speak to quite a few of them pretty intelligently, but where would you say is like your wheelhouse when it comes to sports betting? Yeah, it's funny. I've had to separate what I like watching from what 
I'm good at betting. And I think that's, that's kind of a tough thing to do sometimes because I'll watch any sport. Um, but I know for a fact that I'm much better at betting soccer and football and college basketball. And, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty big baseball fan, for example, but you know, you get me in, in baseball mode and I, I'm quite frankly, just not very good at betting it. Um, and that's, you know, one of those things where I, I learned to find, you know, where I, I, I could think through betting well and then get to the point where that's how you decide, you know, Hey, I can, I can do really good soccer analysis. I can do really good, you know, NFL analysis, but you know, even if I want to right now, especially in the, you know, the summer when those months come around, um, I try to shy away, even if I want to from baseball analysis, cause I'm just, I'm just not good at it. <laughs> it was, it's a hard thing to admit sometimes. You want to think that you're really good at everything, especially as a sports fan, cause you care about it. Um, I'm just not good at it. And that's, that's tough to, to realize, but true. Yeah. And I think it's important because something that comes up almost weekly when I'm having these conversations at one point or another is that it's more valuable to pass on a bet than to force the play if it wins half the time. Because if you're flipping coins every time you win, let's say if it's a hundred dollar unit size, okay, you come out plus a hundred bucks one time and, and minus one ten the other time at those standard minus one ten odds. So if you're not sure, if you can think critically about a bet and and if you have any hesitation, maybe stepping away, sometimes it comes down to passing is the best bet you can make. And it's not always fun, but that's an important realization. And it can be tough when you mentioned being a fan of baseball and, you know, maybe you know a lot about the players and the stats and maybe you're good at, at fantasy or different things, but knowing a sport isn't the same as being good at betting a sport. And sometimes there can be a lot of crossover there, but understanding that it's not perfect overlap Sometimes the sooner you get that, the more headaches you can spare yourself in the long run. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And I think that's the funny, you know, kind of universal theme you'll get from people who are experienced in this is it's never, almost never about when you should bet. It's about when you shouldn't bet and knowing, you know, these sports are not the right to bet or, um, you know, I'm, I'm chasing money and that's not a good time to be betting or, you know, whatever it is and realizing and stopping yourself and saying, well, I, you know, obviously I could win, it's, you know, usually with, with a 110 line, it's, it's 50 50, but when is it not good odds? You know, when are, when are you gambling more than actually thinking through what you're doing? And that's, you know, that's what I think a lot of people will learn and, and get better at as this whole, you know, U.S. sports gambling thing grows. Yeah, and I think that as people get a handle on that, something else you're doing beyond, you know, giving out picks here and there and and making things funny, also giving people a clear framework to understand what this is all about. You've written a few pieces for Dimers that stand out. Uh, Listeners will know that Dimers is also a partner of this show. And going back to December of last year, you wrote a piece called The Simple Guide to Understanding Sports Betting. And I've been kind of toying with a similar idea for this podcast, so I, I might try to follow up with you to bring you back on at some point to uh, to do something similar in podcast form. But I was wondering if you could describe the impetus for writing that piece when you did. Um, funny enough, Dimers suggested that one. Um, and I it was right when I started, um, and I was kind of just trying to get my foothold in and, and working with these guys, and, and they reached out to me because uh, I think fairly – 
fairly speaking, I'm about the only, uh, like humorous writer that they have. I don't think they ever really planned on this. Um, to be quite honest, the, the content editor just kind of found me and they brought me in, but they have, you know, they do a lot of the analytical writing, not a lot of this. Um, and they suggested it because they said, you know, we're, we're starting this, this betting site and we really want to have, you know, every website you go on that's got sports betting has, you know, a list of betting terms for every, you know, new better who wants to learn about that. And that's great. Um, but I think the reason that they chose me to do it and the reason and the way that I approached it was, you know, I want this to be fun. Like I said, like with everything else and, you know, I can walk through the basic terms, but if you want to do that, you could just go on Google and type in, you know, sports betting terms and you could find anything you want. Um, I think they, they asked me to do it to make it a little bit more of a, a fun thing for people to hop on and read and they could, you know, build through the the content in a way that's more engaging. Cause you know, if anyone puts a list of terms in front of you, it's like reading a damn dictionary. Like you don't want to, you don't want to do that. Um, so I think it was the, the whole idea and the way that I got into it was just, uh, you know, how can I make this funny and how can I make this something that people will actually sit down and read? Um, and so from that standpoint, um, I think I do a lot of that for dimers specifically where they, you know, a couple of times they've come to me ideas and said, you know, we want this written, but like, if we just write it ourselves, it's just going to be a very straightforward thing. And, and I can kind of spin that and make it a little bit more fun, which is, I think, what they're looking for. And I think what a lot of people who are trying to get into this are looking for, um, there just aren't a lot of sources for it. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, it, I thought it was a cool idea and I can't take any credit for it, which is, uh, which is fair, but I, I, I think it was a, it was a fun thing to do and it was a good idea by them. Yeah, well, if not taking any credit for the idea, at least you can take some credit for the execution of it. And with that having been a, a fairly big undertaking to try to do something like this in a unique way, and also just thinking of what's come to pass over the last six months, getting more experience, being that much more familiar with the industry, is there anything that you would rethink from that piece if you were to do it again? And if people go to look at this, um, you know, anything that maybe stands out is, is really holding up, and maybe something that you would revise if you were to do like a May 2021 update. Um, you know, I think, I think I go back and, and I look at pieces and I always see things that I would have done better. And I think that's part of the deal is I try not to, to hang my, you know, hang my head too much if there's something that I, I got wrong because none of these articles are ever going to be perfect. Um, but at the same time, there are things where I say, you know, I wish I'd done that a little bit differently. Um, I think, Part of it was I, 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 you know, one of the things I look back now at and I say, you know, I, I could have been more engaging was, you know, I kind of made fun of certain types of betting in ways that, you know, they, they were funny. They, you know, they actually do resonate with who I am, but like, you know, betting futures and betting props are very valid and meaningful ways to bet. They're not necessarily what I do very often. Um, and so, you know, maybe being a little bit more um, open-minded, you know, I think that's one of the things I, I I've gotten more exposure to since I've gotten into this has been just the variety of ways people go about sports betting and the variety of ways that people think about sports betting and, and their interests. And, and it's opened up my eyes so much. I mean, one of the things that Dimers does so well is they do these prop bets that, you know, don't necessarily come across as things you'd ever want to bet, you know, some guy betting over four and a half rebounds, but they're really good at it. Um, and I think I've been able to see because, you know, being on the, the, Twitter world and the, the, the sports gambling world, you get to see so many different more perspectives. Um, and I've become more open-minded to what, you know, what is good for betting and what 
I should be doing to bet to get better at it. Cause you know, closing certain types of betting off is just not smart. Um, if there's opportunities to succeed. So I think I'd be a little bit more, yeah, a little bit more open to, to a couple of, of things that I was a little bit more uh, snarky about than I probably should have been. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like that point about being more open to different betting approaches because when I, you know, started thinking about creating content in this space, it was like, okay, I think I've got a few angles that can help people win or if they, if they're not going to follow it or even if they do in some cases, it's no guarantee they'll win, but hopefully they would lose less and, and who wouldn't want to maximize their bankroll in the long run. And at the same time, there are a lot of people who they frankly don't care to line shop and a lot of people aren't price sensitive and they just want to know, okay, I'm betting X dollars on the chiefs to win this weekend and, I hope it happens. And if not, it's money I can afford to lose. Then there's no harm done. So I, I certainly would like to always encourage people to only risk what they could afford to lose. But at the same time, I, you know, I will really prioritize maximizing my ROI is a better. And to other people, it's, Hey, if I go to the movies for a few hours, I know I'm not going to get that money back. If instead I watch this college football game on the Saturday night that the movie's showing, I might double my money. And if not, then I'm still probably entertained for a few hours. So it, it does ultimately ladder up to trying to understand just the different goals that people have. And it's okay. Like so much of this last year I felt in, whether it's betting or, or far beyond anything construed as a different point of view can be taken as a threat. And I just feel like it's just different. Like, yeah, I, I will protect my bankroll and try to maximize my ROI to the bitter end. And other people are like, Oh yeah, I don't care. Like, I'll, okay, I'll throw a hundred bucks on something I don't know the first thing about, but it seems fun. And there's room for all of that. And, and the less we can view anybody else in an antagonistic way and, and I think move in the direction of just understanding it and just embracing what the whole landscape is. I think the healthier things are going to be. And frankly, the more sustainable it's probably going to be to have some semblance of a community as this just continues to get more popular with legalization sweeping across the country. Absolutely. I think that's that you, you hit the dichotomy right on the head, which is there are people who bet to make money and there are people who bet for fun. And I, I don't think anything is wrong with the, the latter. You know, it's, it's one of those things where I think the more you do it, the more you transition towards the, the former because you realize that over time you're going to start losing too much money. But, um, but from a standpoint of like, if you view gambling as entertainment, then absolutely. I mean, no problem. I, I don't have any, any qualms with people who, who view it that way. And I think you're right. It's just, you know, one of the, the biggest things that sports gambling can do and, and these communities can do is, is just be inclusive and, and let everyone kind of have their own space because that's how it gets bigger and that's how it gets, you know, to be a, a great community and, and to sort of transition. You know, one of the things that I love about beer is just how diverse and how, you know, welcoming the community is to people. Um, and I think it would be great if the sports gambling community kind of, it's not going to ever be the same, but would, would kind of parallel that idea of, of bringing people in and, and, you know, letting everyone kind of have their own voice in their own space. And, and I think there's, there's room for it. Um, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. Yeah. And I think that building on that, it kind of behooves the aspiring sharp better to have the purely recreational betters in the space, because as much as it feels like any bet is the better versus the book, 
there's also, you know, the whole betting marketplace that's shaping those odds that any one better is betting into at any given moment. So if we just want to put up a wall and say, nope, like if you're not trying to be sharp, then get out, then it's going to be a lot tougher to find good numbers because then it becomes a very, you know, kind of one track mindset. And without all the other benefits of diversity, if it's a purely selfish motive, you're probably going to find better odds if you can have a lot of different books available to you by welcoming everybody into the space. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, you know, and nth number of reasons to, to want to do it. I, I think you're right. I'll also take their money too, if they want to, you know, throw it away and that's, that's totally fine with me. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I, I, again, I mean, it's, it's more to my mindset, but I, I try to take this, you know, this whole area to be something that's fun. And I think that the first, first thing I always try to focus on is just find ways for this to be, you know, fun for everyone. And, and I would never, you know, want to feel, I would never want anyone to feel like they, they didn't feel included or, or welcome in the sports gambling world. So um, yeah, no, absolutely. They, you know, any, anyone come one, come all and, and give me your money and uh, come, come <laughs> some articles and watch some podcasts and we'll be happy to have you. Yeah, well said. Well, uh, one more diners piece I wanted to touch on that you put together. This one was more recent in late April. Who to trust in the world of sports gambling? And I think that's a, a great way for people to start to develop a filter for determining what's trustworthy and what's not. Or I guess who's trustworthy and who's not. And you broke down a few different factors. I'd encourage anybody to check out this piece. But just in the context of this conversation, is there, you know, one factor that comes to mind is maybe the biggest thing that somebody could take away when thinking about how they should approach somebody's trustworthiness in this space. Yeah, I think, I think honesty and, and, you know, one of the things that you'll, you'll come to realize is, you know, if it, if it doesn't smell right, it probably isn't right. You know, one of the the big things that I, 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 I'm overly honest in this area, you know, as I touched on in the article, I write my picks and, often they make me look incredibly silly. Um, you know, especially when you have written answers that turn out to be dead wrong, you know, you can go back and look at them and you're like, damn, that's, that was boneheaded and idiotic and wasn't even close. Um, but I think the key really is, you know, what are you seeing from an expert, uh, somebody who claims to be an expert? Um, and is there all the information there? Are they providing it in a way that's verifiable? You know, if somebody posts their winning tickets at the end and you can't tell if, they place the bet ahead of time or, you know, if they gave out the information ahead of time, that's a bad sign. Um, I touched on it a little and, and this might, you know, be a little too snarky, but you know, if you're paying money for bets, I'm not going to judge anyone for doing it. You know, if you can find somebody that's amazing gambler that can guarantee you 60% of their wins, you know, consistently great. You know, it, the, the return is there. Fantastic. I'm very skeptical of that reality. Um, people that are that good do not need to sell you their picks. They will make a lot of money gambling themselves. Um, so it's really, it's a really a matter of, of what you want to do and how you want to approach it. Um, I don't think there are, there are wrong answers necessarily. I think that you can be, you, you should just be aware of what's out there, aware of what people are giving you and kind of think about whether the information makes sense, right? If somebody comes to you and says, you know, I win 75% of my bets, you should say that is not real. You know, you cannot do that. The best book, the best sharps, you know, on traditional bets hit about 56 to 58%. Um, and that 
you know, if you, if you see numbers or things that don't make sense, they are not correct. <laughs> and, and you just should be aware of that and, and always thinking about, you know, where to, where to get your information and, and how, how much information is available. Cause the only thing that can be, there's no harm in seeing everything that, you know, a, a sharp has to offer. Um, the only concern I would say is, is not being able to see enough. And that's, you know, that's where I would think about it. But yeah, to your point about somebody saying they hit 70% of their best, like, okay, well then maybe you're laying minus 400 instead of minus 110. And then it comes back to what's the ROI. And if you're buying picks, as you touched on, it's tough enough to find somebody who's good enough at this that still feels any need or urge to sell picks. And if you're doing that, then depending on your bet sizing, there, there's already the VIG that you're paying to the house. And then to pay for picks on top of it, it just stacks the deck that much more. So maybe there are cases where it makes sense. I I like the way you approach it. Um, I try not to deal in absolutes, but I'd say very rarely would it make sense. And oftentimes if somebody is good enough to consistently win, they're probably having an impact on the market. And if you're not getting down right when they do, then you're probably not getting the same numbers anyway. And I mean, we saw if it was something even like the draft, I remember for a while, one of the bigger profits was over 17 and a half offensive players and it got a lot of money and it ended up closing 18 and a half. And guess what? 18 offensive players were drafted. So yeah, if you were on it early, you won. And if you just tailed it late because, Hey, this is a popular bet. I'm not price sensitive it came back to bite you. So there are cases where that can come up over time and, and really compromise the ROI that much more. So definitely something to be mindful of there. I, I like the emphasis on trying to find as much honesty and transparency from people in this space. And I guess to that end, has that piece and the process of putting it together had any impact on your own process to make sure that you're fitting your own definition of whom to trust? Yes and no. I mean, I think it was kind of funny, right? I like, I didn't intentionally write it, you know, to be, you know, this is all the things that I do and I think this is right. But, you know, when I write, I'm writing in a way that I think is the most, you know, approachable thing. So like, you know, you could say it was kind of a reflection of me and I, I don't want it to be, you know, I trying to like back myself up or try to back dimers up or whatever. It was really, it was meant to be, you know, these are the things that I find important, which is why it was sort of vague. Um, and sort of, you know, in the abstract and not making too many definitives. Um, I have just continued to and and tried to make sure that I am open about, you know, what it is that I I share with people. And I'm cognizant of the fact, I think one of the things that might have changed is that, you know, you see every every place, everything on the Internet, you know, they highlight when they win. And they never highlight, you know, obviously when they lose because that's not going to, you know, win you any followers or any respect. I've started, you know, every once in a while when I miss things so badly, I just post them on my Twitter too. And I start throwing out things like, look how damn stupid I was. And like, we can all just laugh at that because I'm not going to be right every time. And this one was so horribly bad that like, it was, it just looks terrible right now. And like, I can, you know, I try to be able to laugh at myself. If I'm going to make jokes about other things, I, I want to be able to make fun of myself too. Um, Cause I don't think I have as much credibility if I don't. And so one of the things I have done is, is started to kind of share and show people like, Hey, you know, I don't get everything right. I get, I get things wrong. Sometimes I, sometimes I get things really wrong. Um, but that's part of the process. And, you know, it doesn't mean I'm not a good gambler. It just means that I'm a gambler. Right. So. Yeah. It means you're human. You're not hitting a hundred percent. So 
if you were claiming to do that, then then I guess by definition, it would be more of a red flag to people. So on that note, um, wondering if we could touch on one topic, just putting betting into practice. The I think the main sport that I focus on with this show and guests I've brought on would be the NFL. And I know that you touched on earlier, you don't bet a ton on futures and and maybe you don't have anything down yet or haven't done your homework yet for the upcoming season. But um, if you have had a chance to look at anything, I'm wondering if there are anything from the futures market, regular season wins, props, or even now we have early, you know, against the spread opportunities with week one lines being out. Is there anywhere that you see value in the current NFL marketplace? And even if not, just more getting at your thought process when it comes to the upcoming season. Yeah, no, for, for you, I, I went and uh, got a little bit, a little bit different and, um, uh, you know, I, I, I still can do, do this stuff. It's not my traditional way of gambling, but it's actually not because I, I don't think I can do it. It's more because I have an instant gratification complex and I just bet on things that are going to pay out quickly. Um, but sure. I have a couple bets that I, I, I saw and I liked the NFL. Uh, one is actually just a straight line. I think week one, we've got line I saw was the Packers plus two at the Saints. Um, we don't know what's going on with Aaron Rodgers right now. I mean, that's, that's obvious, right? But at the end of the day, he's, you know, I'd say 50-50 to come back right now. If they shell out money for him and they, you know, they give up on love, then, you know, there's a chance he comes back. If he doesn't, the Saints aren't in all that much better of a situation. They're both sitting there losing their franchise quarterback. Um, and both kind of have, have pieces, um, have good running backs. Um, and kind of can can plug away at each other. They won't be doing anything too crazy in week one, but they'll you know they'll be fairly even. Um, I I would say without Aaron Rodgers, uh, I would still give the Packers a kind of a coin flip in this game. Um, I think that they have you know they have the pieces, they have the talent to still be a good team uh, without him. Uh, and the Saints you know will be meddling through what they want to do at the quarterback position. I mean, obviously Alvin Kamara is going to burn through anyone. But I think that this game would be close either way. So with the upside of maybe Aaron Rodgers comes back and with the you know downside being just that you have two kind of question mark teams, I think I would go and, and put some money now on um, on them, on the, the Packers to cover at plus two. Um, and then from a future standpoint, uh, I saw a line that I actually loved um, that I might actually have to bet despite my, my dislike of futures. Uh, Tennessee Titans um, at over nine wins, um, which is basically, you know, in this 17-game season now, you know, can you go 10-7? and seven? In the AFC South, you're looking at games with, you know, even with Trevor Lawrence, two games against the, the Jaguars and two games against the Texans. Um, that should be four wins for them right there. The Colts aren't all that much better. Um, you know, they're still, they're still struggling, um, you know, with, with that, with that quarterback position and, and generally, you know, they're, they have, they had that good defensive performances, but overall, um, weren't spectacular. You know, that's a, a series they should split at least. Um, and if you look at that, that's, that's five wins right there, um, out of six. And then they got to win, you know, five out of, out of 11 after that. Um, you know, they have a, a fairly tough, uh, out of conference or schedule, they, they got the NFC West. Um, the Rams should be fairly good. The Seahawks are always good. Uh, the Cardinals are good. Um, but at the end of the day, 
they, they, they have the AFC East, which gives them matchups with the Jets and the Dolphins. Um, neither of whom impressed me particularly last year, obviously, and, and don't look all that much better. I just see them being able to, you know, at the, at the push at nine games and the, the win at 10. I think there's a ton of value on this, this Titans team that's, that's proven with Derrick Henry and with Tannehill and the, the offensive weapons they have. Um, if they can just get a little bit better on defense, which, you know, it'd be hard to be all that much worse than they were at the end of last year, but if they can get a little bit better, I think, I think 10 wins is, very doable for this team. And I think that's a, a good number to, to take now. Yeah. Well, in the number I just checked at bookmaker, which is perhaps the sharpest offshore, it's uh, slightly juiced to the under. So the over is reduced figure. You're still laying a little bit, but it's only minus 103. So that's almost an even money bet. And uh, yeah, you might be onto something because the Titans are the team that is more often than not proven me wrong and wanting to fade them the past couple years and, it, I mean, I keep waiting for Derrick Henry to collapse, but, I mean, maybe he's just this kind of unicorn. And I'll be curious to see how the offense does with Art Smith now being in Atlanta. But to your point, that division could quite possibly be theirs for the taking, especially as we can assume Deshaun Watson's not going to play the full season. He he might not play at all. There's a lot to be seen there. So I see where you're going there. And with that Packers bet, I, I like the way you broke it down, and it seems to have the element of a free roll where – if Rodgers gets traded, um, Denver seems to be the team that's most commonly linked, then, okay, plus two isn't just a lost ticket at that point. There's still a chance. And if Rodgers is starting week one for the Packers, then they're going to be favored in that game. So it's nice to pick a spot where there's a lot of ambiguity and you have to respect the variance and maybe keep the bankroll in check. But seeing where, okay, worst case scenario, it might you know, put you at a bit of a disadvantage, but it, it's not a deal breaker. And if the positive side of the equation comes through, it could be a really, really high advantage for that type of bet. Yeah, so, I think I think the upside is is just is too high for me there to say. You know, I I, I really like. And and if he doesn't come back, like you said, you know that that line drops maybe a couple points. You might get it down to a field goal um, plus three, but I can't see it getting much more than that. Um, and so you know, I think that there's there's definitely value there. Yeah, um, one thing I will add, I appreciate you uh, coming with such thoughtful breakdowns for those two picks. I think that this can be a really good time of year to just shop around. It's always advisable to shop around if you have multiple books and compare lines. But for a lot of things that the NFL betting market has available now, there's not that classic odd screen where books can copy each other as easily. So we'll see. I mean, even in, in some futures prices to, you know, win the division, win the conference, win the Super Bowl, or regular season wins, we'll see some slight discrepancies. But when it comes to props, we could see some pretty substantial discrepancies. I mean, um, shortly before we, re- we recorded this, I saw Trevor Lawrence at one book lined at 14 and a half interceptions. At another book, it was 10 and a half. And that's a pretty big gap when we're considering that total. I mean, that's 11 to 14. You got four win numbers. If you wanted to take a middle on that, just play the under 14 and a half or over 10 and a half. Um, in some cases, it might be a matter of deciphering, okay, I think 14 and a half is more of a correct number. So I don't need to bet into that and just pay the big. I'm just going to, you know, take a healthy chunk out of the over 10 and a half, if that makes more sense. So I know it takes time again for some betters as we touch on. It's just about entertainment and instant gratification. If that's your goal and that's your approach, that's perfectly okay. But if you want to just 
do a little bit of poking around. It doesn't have to be really time consuming to compare prop options to different books. It's probably not too long before you could find some pretty appealing discrepancies. I mean, I, I saw one book with, uh, it would have been Smith and Jamar Chase, uh, Devontae Smith and Jamar Chase, both lined at 950 receiving yards. I guess 949 and a half, so it can't push. And then another book had Chase at around 1100 and Smith at like 750. So we've got gaping discrepancies from that 950 and a half middle point. One guy's 200 yards less at a different shop. One guy's 150 yards more. And again, just if you want to try to, you know, play the over at one spot, the under at another to set yourself up in a spot where you can't lose both bets, pretty big middle. You could win both. That's fine. Or just, you know, thinking through, okay, if I shop around and see 950 is about the common number. So maybe I want to take under 1100 and, uh, that would be Chase's bet and then over 750 for Smith. It, it doesn't have to take a ton of shopping around, but sometimes those discrepant lines from book to book will just hit you like a brick wall. So, um, as we look at regular, regular season wins and, you know, week one ATS bets, like you mentioned, or, or diving into some props, even if you don't know the market and don't have the time to do a bunch of research, just looking at different numbers that both books have up, so much of the betting market in the NFL is books copying each other, and it's harder to do that with a lot of props. So as these continue to hit the board, just something to keep in mind over the next few months as the season approaches. Absolutely. I think that's you know that's definitely the way to go about it, and, and the more, more intelligent you get about this, the more you'll know and, and the more you'll see, you know, there there are ways to you know the books are books are smart but you know with with competition and with the variety of sources you know people have opportunities to to make smart bets and pick up money uh, against you know books who are who are providing different lines um, and i think that's going to only become more and more valuable to the the common better as as more stuff opens up and as more states open up yeah, for sure. Well, I, I know we're, we're getting close to the hour mark since we hit record. So I'd like to, um, circle back on craft beer to, to bring things full circle with the two pillars of this show. Um, I know we had some good beer talk right off the top, unplanned, but, um, to, to really focus on it for a bit, what would you say about the craft beer scene really appeals to you? Um, everything i mean i <laughs> i love i love beer um i i really liked you know i got into it kind of by accident uh my brother bought me a uh a bourbon county stout in like 2015 mm. and you know i had it and i was like wow you know this isn't like anything i've ever tried um and you know i i tend to have a bit of a an obsessive personality sometimes when it comes to to things I'm interested in, I really do either full full scale or nothing at all, as you can tell with you know the costume and the the writing and all that. You know, I dive into things where I want to, um, and I got really into it just because it was so cool. You know, it was all these different types of beer that I'd never tried from all different types of the country and and all all different you know people that I could meet. And you know, one of the things I miss the most is obviously the beer festivals and and being able to just go out and and meet people and drink with new people. Um, you know, it's, it's just such a fun community and, and, you know, I guess it's, it's a little bit weird today. I don't know if you saw that the whole string of, um, Instagram stories from, uh, kind of a, a insider who was showing the, the issues that they're having right now with, uh, lots of women coming out and, and sexism in the, in the industry, um, which, you know, is, is so sad to see, um, 
and so terrible. Uh, so I, I, I don't want to, you know, make light of that right now. Um, because it's, it's really awful to see some of that stuff. Um, but one of the things I have enjoyed, at least from the, you know, the, the drinker side and not from the brewer side, it seems a lot of this is from, from inside of the, the actual establishment is that you go places and you, um, you know, you get to meet new people and you get to drink with new people. And, you know, I made friends that I wouldn't have made without craft beer. And I actually stay connected to my, my dad and my brother. We all live in different cities and we all talk constantly through beer. Um, and it's, it's just a nice, nice fun, you know, activity and, you know, spend a little bit too much money on it. And I, you know, I, I drink probably a little bit more than my, my gut and my, <laughs> my body enjoy, but it's, it's so fun. Um, and you know, at, at the end of the day, it's just a, it's a cool hobby and, and I get to run across people, you know, like you were, you know, I don't, I don't know that necessarily we would have even crossed paths if it wasn't for the, you know, the beer stuff. Um, and that just kind of shows how, how cool this, this community can be at its best. So. Yeah. If you dangle some treehouse photos in front of me in a, in a Twitter comment or message, then I'm going to pursue it. So that's uh that's a little bit of background as to how this all came to fruition. But yeah, I really like that point about the sense of community again, with um, some issues in, in the workplace that deserves attention and it needs to be improved. There's no sugarcoating that. And I, I know we're not pretending like everything is perfect, but that said, from the beer drinker standpoint, I can also relate to your point of having some really good friends who, you know, without craft beer, they wouldn't be friends. And it's not, you know, a rowdy party going mentality. The first guy I ever traded a beer with at this point is probably about five years ago. And I just remember it was like a small, like we, we met up at this really nice liquor store in the LA area and it was like a one for one, probably small potatoes trade by his standards. He's been at it longer than I have. And I just met this guy and he brought extras. It was my first time getting other half, which is now, um, probably my favorite brewery in New York. I, it was my first time having one of their beers. He just gave it to me as an extra in this trade that we made. He was way too generous. And I was like, I need to be friends with this guy. And now, uh, we're, we're just getting back into it. Um, our, our small, like, inner circle is finally fully vaccinated and we're doing, uh, UFC fight nights. He hosts parties and just gets good food and, and opens up some good beer. And it's just, a, you know, my wife even loves it and she's not a drinker or a UFC fan. It's just good company and, you know, okay, cool. If, if you're into the fights and or the beer and or the food, that's fine. But if you don't care about any of those things, it's just a good way to connect with good people, then that alone has, you know, so much upside to it. So I really relate to your point there. And I was also going to ask you the first beer that blew you away, but it sounds like Bourbon County Stout, uh, just absolute classic. So thinking of your favorite styles, you're drinking an IPA, uh, you mentioned Bourbon County Stout. Is there anything else that you'll gravitate toward or is it generally something like a, a stout or something really hoppy that really does it for your palate? No, I mean, so, you know, stouts are, are fewer and far between, obviously, just cause they're, you know, tend to be so heavy. Uh, IPAs, I, I'm actually not the biggest, you know, I'll, I'll drink them, but it's not my go-to. Um, if I can find, especially, you know, in a, in, in, in warm weather, you know, a good, a good saison or a good unfruited sour, um, is something that I found to be harder to come across, but is just such a nice casual drinker. I mean, in, Funny enough, with the way that Side Project is doing a lot of their their sales right now, they're they're packaging them and 
there are all these people upset about, you know, getting, you know, a few of their white label beers with, you know, the big ticket items. I'm super excited. I, I've, I've gotten a couple of those. I've been super excited because I also get, you know, a beer to pays and, you know, a couple of other of these, you know, casual drinker beers that aren't, you know, they're four or five percent, but they're super smooth. And you can sit down and actually drink a full bottle yourself if you want to, because it's not going to knock you on your butt. Um, and for me personally, the other, and, and I, I guess I wonder how you feel about, about mead as a, a beer kind of knockoff, right? Not knockoff, but, but kind of, side um side alley because i i tend to think of mead as part of the beer community but i know a lot of people don't um and i i have a a very soft spot sweet tooth whatever it is for uh for mead um and if i can get around to to getting uh i have a a very uh treasured pile of of pips sitting in my basement that i uh I open one every once in a while. And if I'm, if I'm really, you know, feeling like I want to pick me up on a, a Friday night, I, I open one of those. Um, so those would be two, two, two styles that I tend to, you know, if I'm having a special beer, those, those would be what I'm going for. Yeah. I, I totally am aligned on the Saison front, especially if it's something by a powerhouse like side project. When it comes to meat, I mean, just like you'll admit when you're just way off on a pick and kind of have some fun with it. I, I think I can just shamefully admit that I haven't really given it a fair shot yet. I, I haven't tried it and I've heard really good things and being in Southern California, I know one that I've heard the most about would be superstition meadery. I don't know if that's really famous across the country or if that's just more of a, a local favorite, but I know that there are reputable options that are accessible. So yep. that's definitely something on the radar. I guess this past year it's been tough to, um, go on too many of those adventures. A lot of places obviously have been shut down, but as things continue to open up, I'm, I'm really open to it. So I, I don't know that I really crave it the way that I hear some people do, but until I try it, it won't be fair to have much of a judgment. <laughs> and, and I would also say that, you know, you're, you're kind of fairly trying to delicately speak to its place in the overall beer scene, but me probably fits in as well as any of these smoothies that breweries are, putting out right now. Um, I, I don't want to disparage anything that people like, and I've had, you know, some pretty good takes on the style from bottle logic recently down in Anaheim, but I've also had some that it's just like, it's like they threw starburst and added even more sugar uh, into the fermenter and just let it sit. And this is what you get. And uh, you know, on, on top, some of this stuff will have like a 4.6 and I'm like, it, it, I don't even think it's, beer it, it doesn't taste great to me in the first place and i don't know how in the world it meets the definition of beer um that's it i mean if if people like it then there's nothing wrong with that but um that's where maybe i'm a, a bit of a purist to a fault in the sense of thinking i i'm maybe i'm overthinking it and saying is this even a beer rather than saying okay like i wouldn't drink 10 of these but if you give me a small pour to share at a party then i can enjoy that as well so the lines are definitely getting a little blurry but I mean, welcome to 2021. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I have styles that I tend to look at and I'm like, man, I don't know how people drink them. You know, milkshake IPAs for me are right in that alley where I just, it doesn't make a lick of sense to me. Um, you know, like you said, with those, those smoothie styles, if you look at like 450 or, or breweries like that, where it's basically just a, you know, it's a fruit smoothie that's got some, some alcohol in it. And you could just as easily make it by getting a blender out and then putting in a little bit of malt liquor, vodka or whatever it is. It probably tastes about the dang same. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a little funny for me because I, I always wonder what people think about mead 
they are brewers. They call themselves brewers, but obviously just different ingredients. Um, so it's just a little bit of a different feel. Um, I like it a lot, so I'm, I'm pretty biased towards it, but it's funny, you know, uh, with, with everything, you know, the beer world expanding and, and new styles coming out and new people getting into it. It's always, you know, you're right. It's, it's always important to be inclusive. And I, I just always kind of wonder where, where people stand on that. So, um, you know, it's, it's like I said, no, no, no way to do it is wrong. Um, but it's, it is, it is funny to see some of this stuff sometimes. The, the new, uh, um, seltzer craze for me. There's been a lot mm-hmm. of breweries that are putting out those, the, the, Hard, I think smoothie seltzers now too are a thing. So we're, we're getting yeah. more attenuated from, from beer. So, um, you know, it, it is what it is. It's 2021. So I guess you just got to get used to change, right? Yeah. And I, nothing against breweries who make this if it's good for their business. And if people enjoy drinking it, that's fine. I would say I'm, I've heard enough good things about mead from people who I think have some credibility that I, I'm very open to giving that a shot. The, the seltzers, it's not my thing. And if it works for other people, that's cool. Some people might hear me talk about IPA and say thanks, but no thanks. So there's something for every palate. That's the beautiful thing about the craft beer slash beer type beverages that are out there right now. So on that note, one more thing I'd like to run by you before we wrap things up with a rapid fire round. Um, sticking with craft beer, you probably gave some of the more thoughtful analysis with um, some pretty fun Twitter back and forth on a California craft brewery draft that I ran a few weeks ago with some really awesome people in the beer scene out here on the West coast. Um, I'm curious since you know a lot about the industry, but you're not in that same California bubble. What were your thoughts on it? And, and, you know, maybe based on that, there could be the potential to do something down the road. That's, that's got more of a national focus versus sticking with California. Yeah, no, I, it was, it was really interesting to me to see, you know, where you guys all came out. Obviously, you know, everyone has their own local things. Um, it was such an interesting take from you guys to do it, uh, by style. Um, where I think one of the conversations that we had on there was about, you know, which breweries do you take for which style of beer? You know, and I think, you know, one of the ones that stuck out to me was somebody took modern times for IPAs. And when I think modern times, I think stouts, um, because they, they make so many of those big, you know, impressive 15% stouts that, you know, have national clout. And, um, you know, there were, there were ones on there that were just so interesting, um, you know, just to see where things popped out. And, you know, from, from my standpoint, you know, I, I know certain breweries in California, but there are ones on there that I just personally haven't had. And, and to see, you know, to, to get a look at what you guys did. And then I went and looked up some of these breweries and, you know, saw, you know, Hey, this, these brews have cool stuff too. And you know, these, all these picks, I mean, that's, that's the, the fun thing about it, I guess, right. Is there's no wrong answer. It's probably every single one of those breweries makes dang good beer and you could be happy with four, whatever four picks that, you know, the four of you had four or five picks. Um, but it was fun to, to, to see, you know, I, I guess it, it's always just so hard for me to, to pick between breweries. And I kept sitting there going back and forth between all your picks. And I was like, man, you know, I'd like to be him. But then I saw somebody else having, you know, somebody has Sarah and, you know, I'd love Sarah, but somebody has modern times. And I love modern times. Someone has North park. I love North park, like all those. Um, and it was just cool to see that you guys did. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. It's so, it must've been so fun to, to think your way through it. Um, and I, I was just, I enjoyed engaging with it because I thought it was such a cool idea to do. Yeah, well, I've got to thank 
uh, Cody Thompson, who was on repping Beer Night in San Diego, he and the guys on his show had a similar idea a little while back, and they kept it just to San Diego, which that's you could make an argument that's the best beer market in the world. And there are other worthy candidates, but San Diego's way up there. And still, just within the scope of one county, once you get past, you know, 20 picks, it it starts to get, like, slim pickings in some styles. So with all of California at our disposal, you know, I think 98% of the breweries in the state didn't make the cut. So to your point, there was really no wrong answer. But it was fun to see the game theory because I remember Eno Saris of The Athletic took Island Park for West Coast IPA. That's probably what they do best, cannot fault him. But they also make Timbo pills. So for the lager category, you know, it's like I think one of the best loggers in the world. It's even, you know, being a little bit hoppy, it, it kind of satisfies the IPA fans as well. But you could, you know, weasel things around. Eno also took Cellar Maker, which is famous out here for West Coast and Hazy IPA, but he likes their stout. So there's a little bit of game theory in saying, okay, if I take this one off the board, I mean, I, I took Green Cheek for lager and it's, it's nice. I'm drinking one of their lagers right now and I have no regrets about it, but that's a powerhouse for West coast IPA and hazy IPA as well. So trying to use some of the game theory and bring some scarcity to a game with just an embarrassment of riches to choose from. It was a good time. So yeah, maybe in the future we'll, we'll do something like that again, but broaden the scope a little bit. And, and maybe that could also broaden the types of people that we'd bring on to partake in the draft. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's, that sounds like a cool idea. And anytime you want to, you want to have me back to do it, I'd, I'd love to. Cool. Yeah. I know any, anything with that, uh, you have a good sense of everything nationwide, but especially on the East coast, I, I know you've got that pretty much on lock. And, uh, on that point, I think we can wrap things up with a rapid fire round here and sticking with beer for one more item. What would you say is your Mount Rushmore of breweries? Okay. I'll go Hill Farmstead. Um, I think the combination of everything they do is fantastic. Uh, side projects, Corey King is just a genius. Um, and his brewing is, is amazing. Um, for, I'm going to stick with the, the mead idea and, uh, pips. Um, you just can't get any better. I've been up to that, that meadery before and it's, you know, Matt, the guy who owns it is just the nicest human being in the world and it's just incredible meadery. Uh, man. And then fourth, you know, there's, once you get there, it's so many good options. Uh, I'm, I'm a, you know, New Englander at heart and a Boston boy. So I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Treehouse. The first line I ever waited in for beer was, uh, was for Treehouse beer, uh, way back in the day. So they have a soft spot in my heart. Um, and I'll give a shout out to, uh, to Charlton Mass and, and that, that brewery cause they've done some great things and I have some, uh, I have some fond memories, so that's just going to stick as a personal one. Yeah, geez. All right, we're seeing eye to eye on this because I think uh, without my experience with mead, I think you hit on three of the, you know, the breweries that are more prominent in the craft beer scene that I would have. And, and I almost thought you might leave off Treehouse, and I was going to see where they fit into the list. But I, I don't have any real glaring omissions to throw your way. Are there maybe any that um, get strong consideration but just don't quite make the cut when you have to narrow it down to four? Man, I mean, there's always so many good breweries. Yes, the answer is, um, you know, I, I could. Bottle Logic is obviously a fantastic brewery. They, they've changed their model a little bit over the last few years, but you know, they're they're up there with you know one of the most impactful breweries in the country, Goose Island. I mean, you can't have a list without at least mentioning what they've done for the industry. Um, 
Modern Times is absolutely fantastic, um, and I just love their beer. I think Other Half you mentioned earlier has had a, a tremendous impact on the the beer world. Um, so, I mean, it's just an embarrassment of riches we have, um, and it's it's so hard to pick four. Um, those four tend to be a little bit transcendent for me, but, you know, I could mm-hmm. sit here and pick 50 breweries that I'd, you know, be happy to drink just their beer for the rest of my life. So, um it's hard. Yes, is the answer. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, kind of like what you're saying about the draft. No wrong answer, but I, I think, um, again, with without knowing enough to have much of a judgment on the mead selection, I I trust your judgment there because the other three that you mentioned, I I think are you know very well deserving despite the heavy competition. And one more thing to wrap things up from a betting standpoint as well. What's one thing that you think most betters can do? To win more, provided again that they're maybe not just looking at it purely for entertainment. If somebody is an aspiring sharp better looking to get into that maybe recreational plus level of betting, what's one thing you think that they could do to get there? Uh, I would say admit, and I think I touched this on a little bit before, admit where you're wrong or admit where you're not good, right? I think uh, I can't remember what the name of that graph is, right? But every person goes to that that um, stage of expertise where you start low and then you build up and you think you're really good at something and then it comes back down and you realize you're only like pretty good at it, but like you recognize that you have, you know, misgivings or faults and you're not as perfect as you thought, you know, when you were kind of getting into the swing of it. I think one of the things that, you know, like I said, I, I had to do and I think everyone can do is, you know, recognize where you have holes and, you know, Sports is just such a massive world that you can't be an expert on everything and you can't be an expert on gambling and everything. So, you know, know where you're good, focus on where you're good and focus, you know, find people who can help you where you're not as good. You know, that's one of the things that I've, I've had to do is even if, you know, as I think of myself as a good better, I still find people that I, I, you know, I look at their picks and say, you know, these, these people are smart in certain places where I'm, I'm not. And there's nothing wrong with admitting that you're, you're just not good at everything because uh, everyone, you know, has their has their holes. So I, I think that's kind of the thing I'd focus on as, as a person who's kind of aspiring to get up there is, you know, really recognize what you're really good at because you're probably really good at some things and then recognize certain things that you might not be as good at. And there's just nothing wrong with that. So. Yeah, I think that's a good way to cap it off. I know this was your first podcast experience. I appreciate you giving me that opportunity to be a part of it. How would you rate the experience? It was awesome. I mean, talking about sports, talking about beer, talking about gambling, you know, this is, you know, if I could get paid a third of what I do now to do this, it would be a, a happy life. So, you know, it's, I, I thank you for having me. You know, I, I, I think it was, it was great to be able to do because we just have so much in common from, from sports to, to beer. Um, and I just really appreciate you taking the time. You know, I'm, I'm always grateful and, and happy to be a part of this community and, and be able to meet new people and and thank you for for giving me your platform and for for taking an hour out of your day to to talk to me. Yeah, I mean, thank you for doing the same. And I want to make sure we also plug what you're up to so people know how they can connect with you on Twitter at prospector underscore Sam. Also, your work frequently featured on Dimers.com. And is there anything I'm missing or anything else you'd like to add? Not at all. I'm making videos now because apparently that's what I do. And, uh, you know, if you, if you want to go and, and check those out, um, love to, but, but please, you know, come, come read and, and engage and, and do it with, you know, as many people as you can. I mean, me, it, you know, we all, we all love uh, engaging with, with people and, and making this a part of the community. So, um, any, any new people who just want to come out and 
comment and either, you know, tell me they like the stuff or tell me I'm an idiot or whatever it is. Just, just feel free to drop a line. So, um, yeah, no, thank you for, for giving me the time and, uh, you know, I appreciate, appreciate all of it. Yeah. Well, once again, thanks for coming on and, uh, we'll figure out a way, I think down the line, whether it's a beer draft or, or another, maybe evergreen topic like this to, to do this again. Uh, if and when we have you back for the second episode, will probably be my second time interviewing somebody in costume. Always a fun wrinkle. So thanks again, Sam. Wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) Thank you again. Goodbye. Thanks again to Prospector Sam for joining the show. You can follow him on Twitter at Prospector underscore Sam, and you can also catch his work at Dimers.com, where you'll also be able to find a write-up on the highlights from our conversation. Friendly reminder to please follow or subscribe to Props and Hops wherever you get your podcasts, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, a quick rating and review would also be incredibly helpful. If you'd like to keep the conversation going, I'd love to connect. You can find me on Twitter, at mlandis18, and on Instagram, at Props and Hops. I'd appreciate any thoughts on this conversation, as well as any topics you'd like me to cover on the show. And that'll do it for this episode of Props and Hops. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next week. And until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well. 